0: From the 600 ESPN El Paso River Oaks Property Schoolyard Sports Studio, here's Steve Kaplowitz and Adrian Broadus.
1: All right, Buzz Adams, thank you very much. Welcome back, everybody. Happy Wednesday to all of you out there listening to us here on 600 ESPN El Paso, the free 600 ESPN El Paso mobile app wherever you might be listening. And, of course, all of our friends on social media that uh, live on social, whether it's Twitter, X, Facebook, Instagram, whatever it is, good to have you back. Looking forward to another packed Wednesday edition of the show. In fact, today, Jay Jaffe coming up in about um, less than 20 minutes. Jeff Erickson, 520. And then in the six o'clock hour, we have a quartet. Of guests that are all uh, part of the 2023 El Paso Baseball Hall of Fame class: Alonzo Ruelas at six, Ryan Madrano at six fifteen, Robert Bob McNichol at six thirty, Carlos Cano at six forty five. Chihuahuas played earlier today, and as you heard during Sports Center, Chihuahuas went down four to two today to Albuquerque. So Albuquerque has won the first two games against the Chihuahuas. Beat them 6-3 last night, 4-2 today. They'll be back 6-35 at Southwest University Park tomorrow. Jay Groom against uh, Jeff Criswell will be the matchup. So, um, you know, wanting to see the Chihuahuas end their uh, last homestand on a winning note. Hopefully that happens. I know they're giving away the caps on Friday. Those are those special uh, uh, Noche de Locos caps that they have on uh, Friday night, which I'm excited about. And also, um, looking forward to, you know, another big week of high school football tomorrow and Friday. Utah plays Arizona late, late, late Saturday night. That game kicks off at 9 o'clock at night. Adrian Broadus, my tag team partner, Mr. Minor Talk himself. Are you prepared to go old school Minor Talk this weekend and take it from about midnight or 1230 till 2 or 3 in the morning, which I'm going to tell you right now, okay? In the old days when I used to handle minor talk and I had a show like that and I was in my 20s and single, oh, I lived for those kind of shows. I did. Because anybody that's crazy enough to be up at 1, 2, or 3 in the morning means you know it's going to be radio gold
2: when they call in following the game. You're exactly right. And fortunately, we will have um, a third member, Galindo, although now, you know, now that we don't have to worry about curfew with him. He's seventeen years old, or maybe we do. I think we might still have to. I yeah, don't know. so maybe that's that's a little worry <laughs> worrying for us. But regardless, um, I'm ready for it. Sal's ready for it. We were mentally preparing yesterday after sports talk. We talked about it. We were like, "Hey, you ready to go on until two, three in the morning?" He said, "Yeah, actually, Samir gets up around then, so he'll he'll be on dad duty as soon as he gets home and be ready for any kind of uh, you know wa- any kind of wake up call or anything like that from Samir James." out there. And so we're ready to go. Steve, we're ready for this one, Arizona UTEP. And even if no one hangs with us, we'll make sure it's a lot of fun here on minor talk. You know, people are going to be hanging with you.
1: I mean, I'll be honest with you. If I had a choice between the bars or minor talk, I'm taking minor talk. I really am, or I'm calling in from the bar on I was Minor say, Talk.
2: Yeah, so we'll be at the district, and it's actually perfect time. We're going to be doing a Minor Talk patio party. Oh Look, my in god! The, in the district, uh, they're not going to flip on all the games, and they, they they have a business to run, they have people to adhere to, but we will have full control of their patio. So anybody who wants to join us, will be there starting at eight o'clock this Saturday, and we'll have prizes. We'll watch all the college football games. We'll watch the UTEP game. However, we might have to close down the bar as well, Steve. I mean, if it's a 9 o'clock kickoff and we're, we're getting this one yeah. on the Pac-12 network, we might be talking about 1 or 2 in the morning for this one wrapping up. Are you actually doing minor talk from the district Saturday No, night? no, okay. we will not be doing that. We will be back here at the studio, so I'll be heading back here. About 5 minutes left in the fourth quarter, uh, and I'll make sure to be over here once we're done. Yep. Um, but yeah, everybody's invited to come out and join us. We're going to have the party coming mm. up here, and it's a 9 o'clock start, so let's go.
1: Let me just also make the point that our partner station, 95.5 KLAQ, will have the game. Their coverage starts at 8 o'clock. Countdown to kickoff. 9 o'clock, John Teicher, Cole Freitag, Mondo the Monster Medina from Tucson. And then after the game is over, then we will go uh, here to Minor Talk. That's the idea. We will... Uh, Pretty much take the air, um, I would assume, either right when the game is over or pretty close to it because, let's be honest, it's going to be 12 or 12, whatever it is, in the morning by the time that game ends. And I'm not. I don't think you guys should be waiting around for the end of the post game show. I say just get on the air, start talking about it, taking calls, and uh, and and let the show just turn into what it will become after that game Saturday night. So um, I think that you know this is with Adrian broadis and Sal Montes is how I would describe it. You know, no David Letterman, but we do have um, you know the 600 ESPN El Paso band. They will be playing for us. Uh, we're gonna have all sorts of. Good stuff maybe stupid human tricks uh, sometime in the middle of the calls we'll do something like that uh, this could be a lot of fun the late night show on uh, Saturday
2: yeah actually I think all bets are off for this one I think that you can just expect the unexpected um, definitely expect us to go on as soon as we're done with uh, with the game I mean we did that we tried that the first time this weekend right after Northwestern uh, with our partner station 955 they uh, had their post game show we started minor talk a little early and I think that helped uh, you know just kind of balance out some of the calls. We had a lot of calls early, but then we had a lot of calls in the middle of the show for those who hung around during the post game.
1: That is beautiful. I, I can't wait. I might even have to sneak into another room Saturday at like midnight and just put the app on and and relax, uh, lay lay in bed and just with like some. Here's how here's how I want to do it Saturday after the UTEP game because I'm probably gonna be watching this till it's over on the Pac-12 network and I doubt that um, you know that is something that will be on in the bedroom. So I might have to go to a different room for that one. So what I think I'm gonna do is I'm gonna pour myself a glass of uh, some tequila. Maybe some Lalo, and uh, sip on it while I'm listening to Minor Talk. And I just can't—that like, is like for me the ultimate late Saturday night. That's that's perfect. Can't wait for that
2: one. You might have like a spit take though, Steve. So you better uh, have your towel close by in case it gets a little crazy. It could. It could be awesome.
1: I mean, this could be, if you think about it, the greatest radio show ever, considering the circumstances, uh, time of the night, all things that are going on, opponent, everything. Because. Let's just put it this way. If things don't go well and they unravel in a hurry, the show's going to probably go on until 3 in the morning. If by some miracle they come out, play inspired football, and win the game, the show's going to go on until 3 in the morning. I, 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 I can't figure out a way for the show not to end late I, or, or to end early, for that matter. I don't, I don't see that as a possibility.
2: So this happens from time to time in basketball because they travel to California or Arizona. We had a late one. I was just trying to remember which one it was. December sixteenth, twenty twenty, when UTEP took on Arizona State, and that was a competitive game at, at some points, you know. Uh, but that was, was that the a- one
1: UTEP beat Arizona State? Yes, yes, I remember that, was that the one, game.
2: Seventy-six to sixty-three. They they yes, dominated them. They that did.
1: Game. That was the best win of the Rodney Terry era. Correct. How long did that minor talk go on until? That,
2: that- I have to go back to see what we were on. Well. Past one, maybe two in the morning. Uh, definitely that night. So I remember that was a late night. There was also a St. Mary's one. It was mm-hmm. also on the road in California. That was a late night as well. So we're ready to go. We've done it before, we're ready to do it again. Have you ever taken a show to three in the morning? I don't think so. I think that'll be the record. I think may I think past two I gotta check with Sal, but I think we're like two thirty, something like that.
1: Um, listen, it's been a long time since I used to go to the bars, okay? This is back in the Mid to late '90s, maybe early 2000s, uh, before I met my eventual wife. who I, you know we've been together almost 20 years, so this goes back in lo- the old days. But I would regularly uh, go out and try to close things. Never an issue at the point. Like you know, if I was going to a bar late and we didn't get started till 11, 11:30, two o'clock was no big deal. So the fact that you could be on with minor talk after midnight and maybe take that show to three in the morning. That is almost like a radio badge of honor as far as I'm concerned. Like, it's something to be proud about. You know, I still tell people that we did radio shows at Pitchers Inside the Marriott for the NFL Draft with Robert Garcia. And the two of us would take the air at 10 and finish at 5 and do seven hours consecutive no breaks, just talking about the draft on a Saturday for, for that nonstop time, and and I and that, to me that's a badge of honor. Seven hours of straight broadcasting from the NFL draft. So if you guys go after midnight, which you should, and take it all the way up till
2: three. That's gonna be something you get to tell your kids and grandkids about someday. That's good stuff. Oh man! Uh, first off, I'm I'm way, I'm still on the fact that you were closing down bars, Steve, back in your heyday. I mean, two in the morning. I'm the Irish goodbye kind of guy. Even you know, in my prime, when I would love to go out and stuff like that, I'd be the Irish goodbye guy. I'd, I'd no, I would never say goodbye to anybody. I would just leave the bar and uh, like one one thirty. I'd get tired. Really? I, I don't know how you had the the steam to go all the way to two. Um,
1: Graham's corn. That was a regular thing back in the day. King's X, I used we used to close King's X down nice. when when they turned the lights on back in the days at, at, at two in the uh, two in the morning. That was the big thing back then. So yeah, those are probably the two spots I remember the most. Papa's as well, Tuna's as well. So, Austin all the west side spots. I can't remember if I ever did Graham's. Uh, if I ever did Graham's Central Station on the east side of town and did that one till uh, till two in the morning. But yeah, it wasn't it wasn't that big of a deal back in those days. This was you know this was twenty five uh, years ago, thirty years ago. So it was a little different back then than it is now.
2: I, I understand, but still, you you get the badge there for that one to hang around Graham's Corner and King's Axe until two.
1: Appreciate that. Good times, good times. So anyway, that's your plan for Saturday, folks. That is the Saturday night menu uh, here on 600 ESPN El Paso. Or really Sunday morning, because truth is, uh, by the time that show ends, you know, it's Sunday. Uh, By the way, I will not bother you until at least afternoon Sunday. I will give you until then to sleep because I'm not gonna, I am not gonna—I usually like to hit you up at about eight to ten from me via text until Sunday afternoon to at least give you a chance to sleep a little bit and recover.
2: So my dogs will not let me sleep past like eight, eight thirty, nine. That's just who they are—the dogs. So I will be up uh, regardless, Steve. So I'm just gonna have to take an afternoon nap. Maybe after uh, the Rams either beat uh, San Francisco or I turn in my jersey for the season and say, "Hey, it's time to tank." All right, that's
1: that's fair. That is fair. We'll see how that goes. Uh, Meanwhile, going to be a good show today. Excited about our guests. Jay Jaffe is going to talk a little baseball and beer coming up. Fantasy talk with Jeff Erickson in our 5 o'clock hour. And then... Uh, Not one, not two, not three, but four members of the El Paso Baseball Hall of Fame Class of 2023. They will join us in our 6 o'clock hour. So stay with us, folks. A lot of sports talk coming up as we send it off to Charlie One for our first traffic update of the afternoon. All right, 19 past the hour as we continue here on Sports Talk. Time to talk a little baseball and beer with this man, Jay Jaffe from Fangraphs, who joins us live every Wednesday on the show. As we wind up the regular season and a couple of weeks, Jay, good to have you back. Uh, how are things out there in uh, Brooklyn?
0: Oh, we're doing okay here. The weather's uh, the the heat has broken, thankfully, and uh, yeah, just uh, uh, not a lot of happiness on the local baseball front. But uh, um, you know, that's uh,
1: uh, that's part of life. Although the Yankees have won four in a row, I guess that's the good news. The bad news is they're seven back, even being over five hundred. And part of the problem is, you know, the Rangers have won four straight, and other teams that they're chasing uh, continue to play at least 500 baseball or better while, you know, they've caught fire as of late.
0: Yeah, nobody really expects them to, to be to be uh, in the playoff hunt anymore. I think the big bummer right now is the loss of uh, uh, Jason Dominguez to a season-ending uh, UCL tear uh, after he'd, he'd homered four times in his first seven games in the majors. Uh, long-hyped prospect um, who'd hit some snags on the way up, but bright spot there for for about 10 days before getting hurt. And uh, um, just one more thing, one more example of, of how things have gone wrong for this uh, organization um, at, at just about every turn this year.
1: Yeah, that's true. I mean, the uh, injury to Dominguez, I guess, happened weeks ago, but he didn't really notice it until, I guess, it got worse and worse and worse, and finally the pain just built up to the point where he had the imaging test and they, and they realized the injury. And it is a shame because that was one of the few bright spots that the team has had uh, this season.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, a certain portion of the fan base has been clamoring for the Yankees to kind of turn the page and and see what they have in the in these upper level prospects. I don't know that it was I don't think it was realistic uh to expect guys like um uh like Dominguez and Everson Pereira um to be when they had so you know so many injuries and so many quad A players because these guys were pretty devoid of upper level experience coming into the season. Um you know our own uh, prospect evaluator at Fangraphs for example had Dominguez uh with a major league uh, ETA of 20- 20 majors here uh he's ahead of schedule only 20 years old uh, you know but uh um, once it was clear that uh you know the the Yankees were carrying a lot of dead weight and weren't going to make the play had to shut down uh, uh Anthony Rizzo and decided to uh, uh to cut Josh Donaldson i think there was genuine enthusiasm about seeing what the kids could do and you know Dominguez so so far had been the best of them although uh, not the only one along with uh, cat, catcher Austin Wells, <laughs> excuse me, and left fielder Everson Pereira, um, but uh, obviously, uh, just one more thing that hasn 't gone as planned for them.
1: How impressive uh, is the feat with the the, uh, Tampa Bay Rays have done this year? They've won 90 games, and they're doing it with a rotation that features Tyler Glasnow finally back from injury, Aaron Savali, who they acquired at the deadline, Zach Eflin, one of their free agent signees, Zach Littell, and Taj Bradley. I mean, think about all the injuries they've had and all the key starters. They've lost to Tommy John this year, and yet the Rays have still figured out a way to piece together a 90-win season.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, this is an organization that uh, prides itself on, on its depth and on its ability to to identify undervalued players. And unfortunately, um, they've had a lot go wrong for them too. Uh, Shane McClanahan and uh, Jeffrey Springs both lost to Tommy John surgery, and uh, Drew Rasmussen <coughs> lost to an elbow injury as well. Um, but you're right. Uh, you know, they're, they're they're lucky that Glasnow has come back and has been so effective. Um, he has pitched. Uh, uh you know a lot like the ace that they had before he underwent Tommy John surgery so that's been good and um they hit uh, correctly on 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 Eflin uh, as as a free agent and uh uh they've managed to cobble together you know once again a very functional pitching staff um you know where it wasn't necessarily apparent that they'd be able to do so
1: Meanwhile, Manny Margot is already on the ten-day IL, as is Jason Adam. So we don't know when Siri's going to return, and uh, you also start to wonder how that will play into center field for the Rays heading into the playoffs.
0: Yeah, they've uh, um, you know they, they've uh, they've got a lot of depth, but you know a lot of it is very you know very situationally based. They've got their platoons, not just lefty righty, but also in terms of pitch types and things like that, and to have, you know, multiple guys down weakens their lineup. But they're not, you know, they're not really, I mean, top to bottom, this is a very strong lineup. They generally uh, have above-average producers in every spot. You know, they'll withstand this, but uh, <clears throat> it's it's tough to go, you know, to be headed towards the playoffs, uh, um, you know, with, with glaring holes. So they got to hope that Syria will be ready in time to, to help them at some point.
1: You know, you wrote about um, the 30-30 season for Julio Rodriguez this year and really what we're starting to see from players uh, in terms of that kind of production. And as you broke down the graph, it's, it's fascinating to me. Rookie Corbin Carroll is closing in on 30 home runs. He already has 47 steals. Bobby Witt Jr. is two home runs away. He's got 42 steals. Ronald Acuna Jr. is just setting the bar of a ridiculous season. I mean, 36 home runs and 65 stolen bases is something that we've just never seen before at this kind of a level, Jay. And adding guys like Kyle Tucker, Trey Turner, and even Francisco Lindor to the mix, um, it's, it's fascinating how 33rd place uh, for, for uh, you know offensive achievements in baseball
0: yeah I, I don't know that I would call it commonplace you know we've got two guys who've reached that plateau we 've got um you know a handful who who could get there i think the uh the average exp, uh, yield uh, based on the you know another one one or two will get there um if we get four that would match the the uh the all time high uh which is which is four last done in two thousand and eleven plus twice in uh uh, the late uh, 1900s, uh, 87 and 97, if I'm remembering correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, what's you know, this is really being driven by the rules changes that have made stolen bases so uh, so much more prevalent. They're up 40% over last year. Uh, when you combine that with the fact that uh, home run rates are near their their all time high, uh, I think it's the fifth highest home run per game season on record. Um, you've got conditions that are ripe for. Uh, for players to do this. And, you know, I I think we're probably just getting started with this. Uh, I expect the next few years, you know, if these rules uh, remain as they are, you know, teams will figure out uh, new break-even points for running. I mean, you know, for example, Trey Turner's 26 for 26 in stolen bases, or, um, you know, he hasn't been caught in Francisco Lindor is something like 26 for 28. These guys are going to run more because um, they clearly uh, can see that they can get away with it. And, uh You know, that might uh, lead them to be more aggressive. You
1: think we'll ever see a 50-50 season?
0: From Acuna, maybe.
1: (laughs) I mean, he's probably the one guy that could do it, right? I mean, of all of them. Yeah,
0: he's, you know, the conditions would have to be absolutely right. He couldn't afford any kind of injury. I mean, you know, 40-40 is already, uh, there's only been uh, uh, four seasons where that's happened here, so, you know, it's asking a lot to hope that uh, a uh, guy got uh, Matt Olson hitting 50 home runs here, uh, 51, actually, for the Braves uh, this year.
1: Was Bonds one of the 40-40 guys?
0: Yes. Okay. Who was are- uh, Jose Canseco, um, A-Rod, and Soriano. Ah,
1: okay. Interesting when you look at that list that they're all individuals associated at some <laughs> point with PEDs.
0: Um, I don't know what Soriano was. Uh, I don't think Soriano was, but... Yeah, I mean, they, you know, it all happened during the PED era, of course. I don't think you could attribute what, uh, what, uh, particularly what A. Rod did. This was like in his age twenty-two season uh, that he did this in nineteen ninety-eight. It was odds are it was before yeah. uh, he was he was using PEDs. Although, boy, uh, I just was was just reading that new bombshell that came out uh, today on ESPN about uh, uh, the buyers out, and mm. uh, that's not going to be a great look for him, to say the least. No,
1: it's true, and he's somehow figured out ways to dodge everything else that's come out at him as he's continued his broadcast career, but this would not be good. And that was all over ESPN.com today. You're right, by the way, about Soriano. Never linked to PEDs, not part of the Mitchell Report, Uh, never had a positive test. So, kind of interesting when you think about Alfonso Soriano playing the game clean when a lot of his teammates...
0: Yeah, I mean, look, Soriano was an otherworldly combination of speed and power, and he was so much fun for a a while um you know it's he, he he didn't have great strike zone judgment that was kind of his downfall And his defense was always uh, uh a little shaky but uh he was a lot of fun there for a while
1: he really was. Uh, as we approach the bottom of the hour with uh, Jay Jaffe here on Sports Talk, if any of you have a question, send it to us right now at 600 ESPN El Paso. That is at 600 ESPN El Paso. More with Jay as uh, we continue. But first, let's get right back to Adrian and this Sports Center update. Or X at J underscore Jaffe. Uh, Joe Rod just uh, sent in this message to us at 600 ESPN El Paso. Hey Jay, what percentage do you give the Reds to make the wild card?
0: What percentage do I give the Reds to make the wild card? Boy, you know it's 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 tough because they're right in the they're right in the middle of a of a six team race there, and uh, um, they are what they are. One game back, yeah, you know, they're, they're in it. Look, our, our, our uh, fan graphs' playoff odds give them a 22% chance. Um, you know, a lot of that may be them because they've got so many young players who, um, you know, tend to be underestimated by the projections once they're succeeding at the major league level. But, um, you know, you've got the Giants and Marlins just half a game in back of them. Uh, the Diamondbacks are, are just a game ahead of them. I mean, I think that, you know, to what, Twenty, thirty, forty percent. Uh, you know, I, I don't think it's I don't I don't think it's better than a coin flip chance. But uh, they're certainly uh, right in there. And if if they if they play very well, they're going to be in it. So you know, I would say better than the Giants, um, who just you know seem to have a lot of a lot of players who are underachieving right now. But uh, um, it's no luck.
1: All right. Uh, Good question. Appreciate that. If anybody else wants to send us a question, at 600 ESPN El Paso. Tough break for the Rangers. Finding out that they lose Max Scherzer for the rest of the month and possibly the postseason with a muscle strain in his shoulder. They gave up their, uh, in order to try to get him, Lucia, uh, Lucia and Angel Acuna, and uh, unfortunately will now have to try to get into the playoffs in advance without him. Let's talk about the impact losing Max Scherzer is going to have on the Rangers.
0: Yeah, go. He says Chris Young told reporters that he doesn't even think Scherzer is going to be uh, going to be likely to pitch in the playoffs given the nature of the injury. Um, yeah, this is a blow, but uh, this is this is uh, you know part of the reason why the Mets. Uh, fell out of it was because Scherzer was only sporadically available. Um, you know when you know during the during the first half of the season. This is a guy whose uh, whose body is starting to break down, and and uh, that's just the reality when you're you know when you're depending upon a uh, 39 year old pitcher here. He's made uh, you know 27 starts this year, which means he's missed a few. Uh, he also had a suspension in there for for uh, for sticky stuff. Um, but you know, his body isn't what he used to be. He I made mean, only twenty three starts last year. Um you know, he's he his years at times very good. Um but, you know, he got uh, uh he got rocked the other day um against the uh uh against the Astros and that wasn't a good sign and uh, um he's just no longer superhuman is i guess what it comes down to.
1: Yeah, it's true. Uh meanwhile, you Darvish uh, shut down for the rest of the year with uh, an elbow injury. Saw that come down uh, today. And also, remember, as tough as it's been for the Angels, who really tried to make some kind of moves to get into the playoffs, uh, they've been without Shohei now for 10 straight games with that oblique injury, which, again, kind of puts his future very much in in terms of uh, being with the Angels in doubt. I think the Otani offseason will be one of the more fascinating storylines that we'll get a chance to cover in baseball
0: yeah it's going to be very interesting i know that you know there's there hasn't been any announcement about uh... about what's going to happen you know with with him regarding regarding his elbow. it sounds like uh... from reading will carroll's uh, under the knife newsletter um that, that that we're going to see some kind of you know it may be some kind of unprecedented combination of procedures there i think they're hoping it could be some kind of uh... variation on the internal brace uh, procedure that gets players back not unlike what uh... Uh, Trevor story had, um, you know, for the Red Sox that got him back in seven months. But it's tougher with a pitcher. Very, very fascinating. Uh, you know, and again, this is this is kind of uh, a bit of mismanagement by the Angels. They probably should have put Otani on the on the injured list uh, to get through this oblique strain. Um, you know, being without a guy for nine days is suboptimal to say the least.
1: Jose Urbina checks in with us uh, here on uh, social and asks you, uh, Jay, how about the Ricky Henderson era? Will we ever see anything like that again?
0: Um, well, you know, I mean, look, Ricky, Ricky Henderson ran free. Uh, I don't know that we will see anybody uh, who is, is as prolific a base runner as, as Ricky. I mean, 138 steals and, you know, in, 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 in his, uh, uh, best season and, uh, uh, 1400 or so for his career. I don't think I don't think anybody can sustain that. I think for you know you look at the um, the risk reward trade offs, and I think we've seen teams you know try to raise their success rates higher than what we saw from Henderson. Um, he was caught you know even in that 138 steal season. I think he was caught like 40 times. Um, you know there's a cost to that, and teams have tried to minimize that. One thing I noted when I was writing about these 30-30 potential seasons is, you know, guys like Trey Turner, who's uh, uh, been successful in 26, uh, all 26 steal attempts, and um, there are other guys in there who've been caught like five times or less, uh, including Corbin Carroll, who's got uh, uh, 47 steals and only five times caught, Kyle Tucker, uh, 28 steals, and only five times caught. I think the emphasis is on higher success rates. Uh, rather than volume. So I don't know that we're going back to uh, uh, the kind of the kind of thing we saw with Ricky. But then again, you know, if the right speedster comes along and, and uh, a team lets him run amok, uh, it would be very interesting to see.
1: It is, because the last player to steal 100 or more stolen bases in a season was um, Vince Coleman. And I believe Vince Coleman uh, did it um, with the Cardinals in uh, either 86 or 87. 87, he had 109 stolen bases. And, uh, Jay, that's the last time I think anybody has shattered the the 100 stolen base mark.
0: Yeah, and, uh, yeah, that's right. Uh, He was, uh, and, and, you know, Coleman, Coleman was fast, but he couldn't get on base like Henderson. He was not, uh, you know, he didn't have Henderson's power. He didn't have Henderson's uh, uh, ability to work a walk. Um, you know, he was at a bit of a disadvantage. I mean, he ran wild his, his first three years and led the National League in stole bases for his first six years. Um, but uh, once his on-base percentage slipped below a certain level, he was uh, um, not nearly as compelling a, a player and uh, didn't get to play regularly. Had some injuries, had some, I think, uh, misadventures uh, with the Mets in particular. But uh, um, yeah, we're not gonna. I don't. I don't know that we're gonna see another 100 steal guy. It takes a lot out of a body and especially with the move to uh, more head-first sliding. There's that extra danger of uh, getting your hands banged up and uh, uh, trying to stay in the lineup with that is tough.
1: Meanwhile, speaking of the Mets, all right, as a fan growing up uh, in the 70s and 80s, my first favorite Met was John Stearns. Um, we lost him about a year ago to cancer. Now um, we find out that David Stearns, no relation, is going to take over the Mets and uh, help shape that uh, organization from a player personnel standpoint after the season. Jay, this move has been lauded by many, and uh, if Stearns has anywhere near the success in New York like he had with Milwaukee, I feel like uh, this is a a terrific move for the organization.
0: Yeah, I think uh, you know, this is a guy who's very well regarded in, uh, within the game. Um, you know, relatively young executive who has played a significant role um, in the in the building of, of two very strong teams. He was with the Astros before he was with the Brewers, and one thing you look at with both of those teams, uh, which is I think you know the the, the main reason that, that the Mets are, are so interested in him, uh, is that they have both done a very good job of developing solid homegrown um, uh, you know the deep end of the of the of the free agent market now um, the Astros certainly could spend in that and they you know to some extent they have by taking on J- Justin Verlander here in in mid season um you know and 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 paying for him next year um, that wasn't a, wasn't a luxury the brewers ever afforded themselves, but both of those teams have have cultivated a lot of rotation depth uh, out of guys uh, from within and and always seem to come up with uh uh, pretty solid five-man units there. and You, know, you look at uh, the Mets by comparison, and, and uh, they're, they're on the outside looking in, and they really want some of that rather than paying uh, uh, untold millions of dollars to pitchers who are no longer there.
1: If you haven't checked out Jay's work this week at Fangraphs, do it. He goes deep into the NL Cy Young race. That's good stuff. He's got articles talking about Zach Gallen, Spencer Strider, Blake Snell. Uh, definitely something you want to see uh, from this week uh, on Fangraphs. And then also stories about Julio Rodriguez like we talked about and the Martian Jason Dominguez. That's all up at Fangraphs.com. Let's wrap it up. Here pick of the week. Jay, what are we talking about this week?
0: Okay, well, today I had a little bit of a heated discussion with my realtors. We are getting close on something, but something did not go my way uh-huh. and I needed to needed to take a walk uh, and uh in the process of running some errands, I ended up at uh uh my favorite little uh uh german uh sausage and brew house, and uh I got myself one of my favorite beers uh This is the Rothhaus canon Pilsner uh Pilsner from the Black Forest area, uh, really a classic. Uh, um, this is, I believe, the maybe the the only place that has it on tap. Uh, this mm. this uh, restaurant here in Brooklyn, um, but it is just a uh, you know a classic uh, pilsner, 5.1 uh, percent. On a hot day when I was overheated, uh, it it went down very smoothly. All right,
1: so you recommend that one from Rod House? If you haven't had the chance to try it, definitely, uh, definitely indulge.
0: Yes, definitely, it's it's a good one. All right, style.
1: I hope things get better for you around the uh, home front. We'll be rooting for you. And in the meantime, uh, looking forward to a happy uh, new year uh, as we talk to you uh, again. Yes. Like,
0: likewise to you, Steve. Thank, Thank you, me. Jay.
1: All right. Jay Jaffe joining us here on Sports Talk. 42 past the hour. Back news is next. 600 ESPN El Paso. Station knocked off the air. That is true. No matter what. And this is the beauty of the app, okay? If for whatever reason we ever lose you on 600 a.m., or let's just say that there's a bad weather in the area and you're getting EAS, EAS updates every five seconds. The app, different listening experience entirely. So, you know, that's the nice thing about it. If we're ever off the air, the app's got us and we're broadcasting. Wasn't like that in the old days. Old days, if we're off the air, we just turned our, our mics off and we stopped the show and we figured, okay, we'll come back when we're back on the air. Not anymore. Now, we're doing this show regardless of the situation, which is one more big reason to listen to us on the 600ES Piano Passive mobile app, which, by the way, I mean, if you like feeling like you're in the studio with us, that's another reason I love the app. You are getting our program feed. Program feed means that when you listen to the show, you are hearing it exactly the way I am through my mixing board and the way Adrian is through his mixing board. So essentially it's like you're in the studio with us. Except either on your devices in your cars through your Bluetooth, Apple CarPlay, whatever you whatever you listen to, whatever you listen to. You know, that is the it's the beauty of uh, uh, of really uh, online streaming radio, and we love it. And you're about a minute and a half, two minutes behind, but I got to tell you something. When I listen to um, online streaming radio, you're a minute and a half, two minutes behind every station, no matter where you go, whether it's uh, anything, satellite radio, stations from other markets, other countries, that's the norm. But man, oh man, I'll trade that in a heartbeat when I can uh, deal with terrific sound quality. And I love the quality from our 600ES Piano Passive mobile app. So if you haven't downloaded it, please do so. It's on every major app platform. And trust me when I tell you, you'll be thanking us after the fact. You really will. And then you can also listen to the show and chat with us in real time. We get email notifications for all those questions. And then we incorporate that in our program as well, Adrian.
2: That's right. I mean, the app's the way to go. You could even listen to our podcast. It's the other way to, to connect with us on our podcast channel. If you have our app, our 600 ESPN El Paso mobile app, you can actually access all our podcasts from the app directly. Listen to this
1: story, okay? And uh, I want to thank, by the way, uh, Eddie Morelos for giving us the lowdown on this one. It's a crazy story. But last night... NMSU News 22, which is the student television station out there in Cruces, learned that New Mexico Athletics is asking NMSU Pride band members to pay $20 per seat at the rivalry game this weekend, even if the band was scheduled to play in the stands. That sounds almost too wild to believe, doesn't it?
2: It does. I can't believe this is actually a true story right here. The fact that they're asking band members to pay to have a seat to actually play in a rivalry game. What? What are we talking about here?
1: I don't know. I almost I almost want to listen to the story from the NMSU student uh, TV yes. station. So here's what we'll do. When we begin our 5 o'clock hour, we'll let you hear the story as they presented it uh, last night in their newscast. And then we'll get some of your thoughts on this. We already know about the tension, the history, and what's happened over the last year. And apparently it is now extended to the fact that New Mexico wants every NMSU band member to pay for their tea, uh, their seat. We'll talk about it next. The Sports Talk continues. 600 ESPN El Paso.
3: From the 600 ESPN
0: El Paso River Oaks Property Schoolyard Sports Studio... Here's Steve Kaplowitz and Adrian brought us.
1: All right, Tower Two is underway.
0: Hey, I just saw this a moment ago.
1: Aaron Rodgers has spoken on Instagram. Here is the Instagram message from Aaron. Thank you to every person that has reached out, called, texted, DM'd, connected through a friend, etc. It has meant a ton to me, and I'll try and get back to all of you soon. I'm completely heartbroken and moving through all of the emotions. But deeply touched and humbled by the support and love. Please keep me in your thoughts and prayers as I begin the healing process today. The night is darkest before the dawn. And I shall rise yet again. Proud of my guys. 1-0. It's got a plain emoji and a little uh, hashtag after that. But there it is. The night is darkest before the dawn, and I shall rise yet again. I guess that means that any thoughts Aaron Rodgers is going to call it quits? Uh not so fast according to his IG post.
2: And also the fact that he is still committed to being a jet, he's still uh, cheering them on from the sidelines here and yeah, he's he wants the best for this organization, the organization he's tied with. And he
1: showed the photo of him walking out holding the American running out holding the American flag. That is the photo that accompanied the Instagram post.
2: Captain America over here.
1: Captain America. You better believe it. So, all right. That's a biggie. Anyway, people were wondering if that was going to happen and what the situation was going to be. Well, I guess Aaron Rodgers has spoken on Instagram and not ready to just – he could have said, you know what, thank you. I am i don't know what's next. I need to think about it. I need to go into isolation and decide. But, no, he does not want to end his career in football – after this injury,
2: yeah, I guess he he's take uh, he's taken enough mushrooms and what ayahuasca yes. or whatever uh, you know he's he's already found his piece he's made his piece and he's ready to be a jet.
1: That's true. That is a way to put it. Captain Ayahuasca knows he wants to stay number eight for the uh, you know the time being, which I'm excited about because when that jersey comes in, I'm going to start wearing it, man. I'm supporting it. I want to support Captain America.
2: You might get a lot of people saying, "Man, I'm sorry." Like they might stop yep. you and say, "Hey, I, hey, I'm sorry about what happened." You know? And they you're will. like, "Whoa, what's going on?" They're oh, gonna offer yeah, me, they're right. Gonna, they're going
1: to they're going to offer me condolences. Or like, a beer, yeah. Hopefully a beer. I got to take it to a bar. That's the that's the key because if people offer me their their well wishes at a bar, I'll say, "You know what? I appreciate that, but if you buy me a beer, we'll call it even." How's that?
2: Yeah, I think Border City Ale House needs to see you with the mm. Jets jersey for sure. Okay, that's true.
1: By the way, that's that place, I will say, I get offered so many, uh, so many beverages of choice at, at at the Alehouse every Monday. So thank you to all of you that will either offer to buy me something or just flat out get me something and you know it's very nice of you. Thank you for that. Appreciate it. It's very good. We had a, a good show there Monday. By the way, um A week from Monday, Adrian's going to be out at the Ale House for me. That's Yom Kippur, the Jewish Day of Atonement. I uh, have always taken that show off. It falls on a Monday, and what do you know it? The Rams, Adrian's Rams, are playing Monday night football that night.
2: Against the Bengals, so it's a Super Bowl rematch. uh, ESPN's coverage, I'm ready for it. I mean, we've got it at the Border City Ale House. I love being at the Ale House whenever I get a chance to do it. So, uh, yeah, I'm happy to do, do that.
1: Just saw this from our app downloaded and listening with the app love it mike from horizon At a baby mike appreciate that thank you for downloading and i'm happy you love it and i'm not i mean listen this is not a gimmick to try to get you to download the app the truth is the audio quality is amazing like you're literally in the studio with us that's what it sounds like so if you want studio sound, that to me is even better than FM quality, because it is. You're getting uh, mixing board quality directly to your device. The 600ES Piano Paso app is the way to go. All right. I mentioned last hour, thank you to Eddie Morelos, that according to NMSU News 22, um, New Mexi- the University of New Mexico Athletics, they're asking New Mexico State Pride band members to pay 20 bucks per seat at the rivalry game this weekend even if the band was scheduled to play in the stands apparently this was this is, it's a developing story that they broke last night let's take it out to the um, NMSU student anchor team to give us more information on this story
4: the question on the NMSU campus this evening is will the NMSU
1: pride band be at the NMSU UNM football game this weekend NMSU's Pride
4: Band almost always plays at the rivalry game with the Lobos, but News 22 has learned that UNM wants the Pride Band to pay $20 per seat for the band students to attend the game this
1: weekend. According to NMSU Media Relations Officer Minerva Bauman and Pride Band
5: Director Stephen Smith is working with NMSU Athletics and the Foundation to find money to pay for the seats. Band members say charging them is unfair.
6: The state has to pay for our own transportation and stuff. It's like having to add, um, you know, money on top of the students when they're already, you know, worried about tuition and stuff is crazy. I know that we have, like, a rivalry, but it's
4: not like the band has a rivalry with them. We're just there to support our team.
1: This is a developing story. We'll have more information as it becomes
0: available.
1: Good stuff. Good stuff. And by the way, uh, Maddie, the last band member, she's right. This has zero to do with the band. Please, it the rivalry. You know, it, it's always been a rivalry, and I and I get the events that happened last year, starting in Cruces at the football game, and then extending to this to the horrific shooting that took place. But this has zero to do with the band. So why are you suddenly going to now? Uh, And this is a university decision. This is not exactly like, um, you know, somebody just decided, oh, yeah, we're randomly going to start charging band members, please. Uh, To me, that is completely, completely um, a
2: ludicrous decision. I mean, think about last week how much blowback Alabama received for staking Texas's band in the upper deck area in Tuscaloosa. They got so much pushback because they set not only the band but also all the Texas fans in the upper deck where no one could see them on national television. And imagine if this story reaches national news, how much blowback that New Mexico will receive, uh, not only as, as an athletic department, but like you're saying, a university. Like this is a really bad look on New Me- on the New Mexico Lobos if they're charging band members to play when they're playing in, in this rivalry game.
1: I don't get it. I just don't. Uh, it doesn't uh, make any sense.
2: And and yeah, I
1: understand that the rivalry is going to be more heated and intense, but it should not come at the expense of trying to uh, suddenly charge band members. As it, it it's a it's customary that when band goes. They get in for free. That's just part of the of the college experience. It's always been that way. But now asking the band members themselves to pay twenty bucks a pop is uh, it's uh, you know that that's crazy.
2: Imagine charging media members. Hey, you got to pay twenty bucks. Wait, first off, who's paying twenty dollars for any ticket at a New Mexico home game? That's another thing. I mean, uh, if especially if you're a student, right there. There's so much wrong in this whole story.
1: No doubt, no doubt about it. So yeah, I'm with you. All right, um, this comes from Eric, the number four Nie on Twitter at Eric the number four Nie 1966. NmSU has always been Bush League, he posts. If I recall a few years back when the fans were asked to bring the football team some much needed snacks LOL. That was during COVID and I thought it was ba- was it basketball or football that they needed snacks?
2: I think it was uh, was a football. It might have been football. It might have been football. Yeah,
1: yeah. I, I, I seem to remember that. But were fans asked to? I thought fans were asked to just donate. And yes, that's when right. they were asked to donate the money, the part of the funds would go towards making sure that athletes had something to eat. Because if you remember correctly, number one, the basketball team was in a. Um, they were in a hotel in Phoenix. For like six to seven weeks because they weren't even allowed back in the state of New Mexico to practice. So Jans had to take his team to Phoenix and then later to El Paso to play his games at Eastwood High that year. And I seem to remember that because the bills were so expensive, they wanted to raise enough money just to cover the cost of feeding all the athletes every day for like seven weeks in a hotel.
2: Yes, I do remember this now. And then they would – it was essentially like care packages that they would send off. That's right. Yes.
1: So, anyway. Um, El Paso Visuals, Deportivos um, posts, they weren't charging the cheer team, so not the same. But remember when NMSU stopped letting the UTEP cheer squad go up to the NMSU basketball games? Karma, with a question mark. The one guy that would really know this story better than anybody, and and that is uh, just because, you know, he's been such a big part of UTEP cheer um, forever. And I'm trying to figure out if if this would even get some kind of confirmation, Adrian, because I'm not even sure if if this one's going to be confirmed or not. But that's Ice Cubillos. At, uh, that's Cesar Cubillos, who uh, does tweet uh, or post into the show quite often. Um, maybe he would know if that's correct.
2: I sent that over to him, and I said, true question mark, so we'll figure out whether or not this is the case.
1: Ah, all right. Anyway. Um, and, and Eric did also say that this happened way before COVID. It was either the Tony Samuels or How Mummy era of football. Well, that's pre-Mocha. So Mocha was handling COVID, but that would be Dr. McKinley Boston if it was during the how Mummy era. As far as Tony Samuels, that goes back even further. So good questions there, Eric. Good questions. And and again, that one I don't recall um, if you had to bring snacks for the, uh, for the team. Maybe it's possible. Mean, it's possible. It really is. All right. 505. 6009, that's our telephone number. Hey, we had a um, a, a terrific segment with Jay Jaffe, which included some questions on social. Um, we're going to be doing fantasy focus here with uh, Jeff Erickson, and I know that so many of you do play fantasy football. So if you have fantasy football-related questions, send them to us now at 600 ESPN El Paso. That is at 600 ESPN El Paso, and we will work on getting those relayed into Jeff. During the program, who to start, who to sit, who to pick up, who to drop. All that good stuff coming up with uh, Jeff Erickson as we continue here on the show.
2: Hey, we also have another message on our app, Steve. This came from Robert right before the last hour ended. He said, hey, guys, I'm so over Gavin Hardison. Is there any chance of putting another quarterback? It can't get any worse.
1: It's a good question.
2: Um, Let's put
1: it this way, Robert. I'll say this. Dana Dimmel has invested the last four seasons with Gavin Hardison. I mean, you could make the argument that Dana Dimmel has put his job in the hands and arm of that particular quarterback. And I don't see, uh, as long as he's healthy, I don't see Dana Dimmel doing anything with the quarterback position at this point. I just don't. I think he rides out Gavin Hardison. Now, if they... If they're already out of bowl contention down the road, that will make a very interesting decision. Even though he never really abandoned Kyle Loxley when he could have looked to the future that season until Loxley got hurt, but I will be interested to see um, what will happen if things do not go well. But to me, Adrian, they never brought Dana never brought in a Division One you know uh power five quarterback from the transfer portal or even group of five from the portal because he's believed in Gavin since he first gave him the reins to the offense years ago i don't think that comes close to changing after 3 games I don't think it comes close to changing after five games and it might not happen the rest of the season the way this has gone.
2: Think of the quarterback depth chart as it stands right now at uh, the backup position for quarterback you have Jake McNamara and Kevin Hurley which the latter is hurt right now. Uh, Jake McNamara we saw a little bit from him but not a lot. I mean he's uh, you know he just had a he played in garbage time against Northwestern when that game was pretty much out of out of the picture. Cade McConnell is probably behind both those guys and we've seen what Cade can do at the junior college level, our guy, Cade McConnell, uh, but we haven't seen him uh, play in any sort of Division One game uh, here for UTEP. And then beyond Cade, it's just a bunch of guys who have been developed through the system or who are continuing to develop through the system. So the point is, uh, even if they wanted to look deeper in the depth mm-hmm. chart, it's just not a lot of proven guys. Yeah, that's true. Hey, by the way, hats off
1: to Eric Fournier for finding the story about the Aggies and the budget cuts and the snacks – This goes back to 2009, Adrian. I forgot about this story. Dr. McKinley Boston was the AD. First year coach Dwayne Walker said that um, they asked fans to donate uh, money for snacks. But here is the greatest quote ever from linebacker Jamar Cotton It's good stuff like trail mix or peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. We had a guy bringing in a bunch of watermelons, that was great. The team was excited. It was like little kids getting lollipops.
2: Oh, man, I'm looking at this story right now. This is horrible. How is this real? Eric, shout out to you for finding this story. Man, uh, the fact that offensive lineman Mike Grady said that it makes easier uh, things easier the following day and a way to keep the energy up. He said, quote, definitely it helps to go to bed with something in your stomach. These guys were going, <laughs> they were not eating anything. Wow.
1: This is uh it's a wild story anyway, yeah, apparently their budget that season was cut 1.5 million dollars. so because the budget was cut, they decided to drop um, operating figures to 17 million for the academic year and he had to make some cuts and snacks was on the list. I do seem to remember this. We talked about this on the air that day in, in 2009. Well it was only what 14 years ago. I mean I, I should remember I should remember it like it was yesterday like Eric did, right? I should. Right,
2: right. Yeah. I mean, I, I had no clue about this one myself.
1: Oh, that's great stuff. Good job, uh, Eric. Way to get it done. All right. When we come back, we'll do a little fantasy focus with uh, Jeff Erickson. You want to give us your questions, send them to us at 600 ESPN El Paso as we send it off right now to Charlie One for this traffic update. 22 past the hour. We continue here on Sports Talk. Let's get a little fantasy talk in right now with Jeff Erickson. Send us your questions at six hundred ESPN El Paso, especially all you fantasy football fans. Uh, Jeff, how did you do? How was the first week of the fantasy football season for you?
6: Uh, Midling. Um, some teams that were really, really good, but I had a lot, uh, too much exposure to Joe Burrow and the and other Bengals. I mean that, you know that 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 was a, a tough. That was tough, pretty much to deal with that. So that was a starting point. Um
5: I you know, I, I had
6: uh you know, I had uh I have Garrett Wilson in five leagues, so seeing Rogers go down like that is obviously pretty painful. Uh so that that was another thing that kinda hurt. But you know what? You know, you just battle on, do the best you can.
1: Yeah, not to mention that Garrett Wilson's circus catch uh in the fourth quarter was nothing short yeah. of amazing.
6: Yeah, it saved us a little bit, but knowing I'm gonna have Zach Wilson throwing it to him for mm. quite the foreseeable future yeah, that's not great.
1: Good point. So, uh,
6: but it's all right. You now, uh, you know what? There other injuries happen too. A lot of people had J.K. Dobbins. So let's face it. Mm-hmm. You know, for all the hand wringing about Aaron Rodgers, J.K. Dobbins was drafted before Rodgers in every single league. You know, that's a that's a big injury in our world.
1: As far as Burrow goes, is it going to take a while since uh, he missed so much of training camp uh, with that injury and the holdout, or do you think that he'll get back on track against Baltimore this week?
6: I think he'll probably get back on track, uh, but maybe it might not be this week. might take a little longer. We'll see. Um, that That's part of, you know, the push and pull, right, that we have to deal with. Uh, it, you know, it might be uh, a little longer, and if so, so be it. You know, but uh, it does stink in fantasy because, you know, each week we lose, you know, it it, it it just makes it that much harder to make our fantasy playoffs.
1: Speaking of fantasy, as great of a quarterback as Josh Allen is in fantasy, his interceptions were so bad against the Jets, and people really criticized Allen to say that the only reason the Jets won the game was because Allen kind of kept them in the game with his passing and, and, and the way he, he threw those interceptions. And kind of begs the question, is, is Josh Allen really the second-best quarterback in fantasy, considering he, at times he could be so careless with the football?
6: It's a valid question. Um, you know, it came up in the playoffs last year, came up in that Minnesota game. or are other games where he made mistakes. I will say this. The Jets are, are one of the top defenses in football. I don't think that's a, a, a controversial statement. They were tough last year. Yeah, he got hurt in the Jets game last year so and one of the two Jets games last year. So I, I think that's something you know, you'll have to watch for a little bit. Uh, but uh, I, I think... You know, I think there'll be better days ahead for him, too. And it starts this week with the home game against the Raiders.
1: This comes from Ray Work Productions, um, who posts, Help! I had um, J.K. Dobbins as my flex. Now that he is out, any suggestions on a good flex ad? Hashtag Go Chiefs. Uh,
6: Puka Dukua, if if he's available, go get him. 15 targets, I think that speaks volumes. He's not always going to be great. You know, they run up against the Niners this week, so it's not a good matchup. But at the same time, that that's someone that I think has some enduring value. Who knows when Cooper Cup's going to come back? Um, I mean, you look at the Ravens running backs themselves. Uh, you, you look to see if you can go get. I would go Gus Edwards before Justice Hill. That's my mm-hmm. preference. I know Hill got the two goal line touchdowns. I think that was a little bit of circum like just happenstance, not because I think Gus Edwards has been used in a lot of short yard situations in the past, but I think Edwards is the guy that gets more touches generally. Um, you know, I, I think Joshua Kelly's another guy you could think about picking up for Sandy. Uh, you're right, I did it already uh, for the Chargers. Um, he got 16 carries last week, and now we're seeing like Eckler dealing with a sore ankle. That's another guy you might be able to pick up. And finally, Josh Reynolds on the, the Lions, uh, eight eight targets last week. I think he's their number two right now. Uh, behind. Obviously, Amon Ross, St. Brown is still going to be your main guy, but I think there's enough to support two receivers there, and who knows what Jamison Williams is going to be like even when he does come back, but that's five more weeks before that even happens, so I think Reynolds is the guy you can use right now.
1: Puka Nakua has the coolest name in football. Let's be honest. That is a name that just, you know, it rolls right off the tongue. He plays on Adrian's favorite team, the Rams. A lot of people might not know much about him. What can you tell us about Puka?
6: You know, um, some people were on him uh, in draft season as, like, your late-round pick. I only have him in, like, one or two leagues, but uh, he's someone that could be, uh, you know, a, a guy that uh, steps in and plays the cup role and, and runs really good routes, gets a lot of targets. Uh, it seems like they've both, he and Tutu Atwell, have passed up Van Jefferson, although, you know, who knows, maybe we have a different narrative if Jefferson doesn't drop a potential
2: touchdown last week in Seattle.
1: Adrian, are you uh, are you buying Nakua?
2: I like that. I like the Nakua addition. He's from BYU. Got a chance to see him in college. Uh, fifth round draft choice for the Rams. Uh, I like the addition. I like that. they're he's emerging. I'm curious on how his targets will change uh, once Cooper Cup is back with this team after the uh, IR stint.
1: And will that be about five weeks, Jeff? Is that what we're looking at?
2: Well, it's a minimum of at least three more, right? Yep.
6: Um, and then. It could be longer. I mean, the fact that he was going all over the country seeing specialists for that hamstring, that's scary, right?
1: Extremely scary. So we'll have to monitor that. All right. Um, Somebody else who had a lot of hype this start of the season, uh, before the season actually started, and justified it in week one. Calvin Ridley of Jacksonville, he looked terrific. Almost looks like yep. he's picking up where he left off. Although at times in Atlanta he was inconsistent, he would be dominating at one game and then he would kind of disappear, and you know never really took that step as being elite. In Jacksonville, it seems like now is the time to be uh, you know bullish on Calvin Ridley.
6: Absolutely, um, I, I, I'm there. He was a guy that in our community he kept on getting more and more helium. Yeah, you know, by the end of draft season, he was going middle to late second round. Early in draft season, you get, you got him in the fourth and fifth round. And you know, for people, I always say, why do you wait? Why do you why does anybody draft early? Don't you want to know all the injuries? Well, this is why you draft early, so you can get Calvin Ridley at a reasonable price instead of the second round price. So you don't get shut out on him.
2: Jeff, I know that the Kansas City Chiefs receivers disappointed a lot of people in uh, the first, you know, the opening game against the Lions. Against the Jaguars with a little bit more rest, are you bullish on some of these guys like Sky Moore, maybe even Kadarius Tony, despite all the uh, the you know the uh, fading against him right now? Or do you still kind of think that this wide receiver core is really suspect without uh, Travis Kelsey?
6: I think they are suspect, but I think they also bounce back a little bit. I know that's kind of mealy it's kind of in-between answer, but I suspect you'll see a bounce back out of Tony especially. I mean, we've seen Tony. I mean, he this is kind of him. He's kind of an inconsistent sort of player. So, yeah, I'm not super surprised that he had a bad game, the degree of which he had a bad game. I think it might be the surprising part. But, you know, I, I think you'll see a little bit of a bounce back in him uh, in
4: the future.
1: I also wonder if Kelsey and Andrews are going to play this week talking about Mark Andrews or if two of the better tight ends in fantasy could be sitting again this week.
4: Yeah,
6: both were limited in practice today. Obviously, Wednesday practice you don't want to read too much into it unless you're like of course the Eagles, uh you know, where the Kenneth Gainwell was ruled out, you know, for the Thursday game. But for the most part, though, that Wednesday practice if there's any sort of doubt, they're going to be limited. Right, uh so tomorrow and Friday we'll watch that even closer.
1: More with Jeff as we continue. More of your questions, send them to us now at 600 ESPN El Paso as we send it back to Adrian for this Sports Center update. Adrian, as we continue right now with uh, Jeff Erickson, uh, we've talked uh, a lot about uh, some of the people that he's bullish on as far as ads after Ray's question uh, that he sent to us a little while ago on social. Who else really impressed you in week one?
6: You know, it's funny. Like one guy that I was frustrated with his usage, but I, I liked what I saw from him was Jameer Gibbs on the Lions. And I saw a note today saying that the usage could pick up. He broke tackles. He was very shifty. He had acceleration. I was I was very impressed with him.
1: Brees Hall looked really good in limited time too for the Jets.
6: He sure did. Yeah, sure did. Uh, that's another guy they're working his way uh, working their way back with him. But boy, he looked really good.
1: Um, I know that Bijan Robinson did some big things in Week One, and I think that that's something that will continue to grow as he gets more and more accustomed to that offense. But at the same time, you look at Atlanta; Tyler Algier had a couple of touchdowns, and I still wonder, you know, how his usage is going to play since the Falcons have said they they want to still continue to give him the opportunity to make plays.
6: Yeah, that's right, and you know it. it- The thing is, Tyler Algier is good. I mean, it's frustrating seeing him take away goal line, carries away from Bijan if you have him. But at the same time, this works for Atlanta, right? And so this is what they do. They do do give the running backs a lot of touches. I mean, I think you've got to be really nervous if you have Drake London uh, because I, I don't think I was super impressed with Desmond Ritter. But, you know, this is the formula that Atlanta had last year to stay competitive in their division is to run the ball try to win with defense and I think they're going to keep doing that now that they have Bijan uh, Bijan looked really good on the touchdown the and reception, yeah. I do like that he's getting targets, but Algier's not going away, that's never going to be a thing where like okay,
2: we're going to just take
6: the uh, we're going to make Bijan a workhorse back and we're going to forget about Algier, no they're, they're he, Algier's going to play
2: I'll give you two this or that, uh, Jeff. Do you would you go uh, Lamar Jackson or Anthony Richardson at quarterback? And then on the flip side, would you go Tua Tungovailoa against the Patriots, or would you side uh, possibly with instead of instead of him? Would you go Deshaun Watson against the Steelers?
6: I think the easy one is uh, Lamar Jackson over Richardson. Richardson got a little banged up on that last running play too, so we'll watch his status throughout the course of the week. I know the matchup's need against the Texans, but I, I wouldn't, if you have Lamar, you're going to use him almost all the time until Richardson just goes, if Richardson goes crazy, I mean, that, then he becomes Lamar. I mean, that's, that's the thing. But if an, unless and until that happens, I think you get, it's too clever to go ahead and go that route. Uh, Tua is, the Tua question's close.
2: Um,
6: Tua, I just don't love his matchup, uh, this week against the Pats, but, same time, how can you? Uh, I mean, how can you not be impressed with what he did against the church? I'd probably go two uh,
1: there. Typical Aaron Jones in Week One uh, in Chicago uh, against uh, the Bears. Now he goes to Atlanta this week, and and you know it's so interesting to see. Um, LaFleur talk about how Jones is kind of the the heart and soul of this team and really the one guy that they can count on to make big plays. And from a fantasy standpoint, uh, that could be good. Assuming he could stay healthy and keep that hamstring intact, um, here's a guy that they might be leaning on in in, in a lot of ways this season to really score points for.
6: Yeah, and with Jones, we got to watch the hamstring. He heard it on that last play in the third quarter where he was in on the touchdown. Did not practice today. They're going to take it, you know, give it the course of the week before making any determination on him. So, um, it might be a massive week for A.J. Dillon against Atlanta. Uh, just something to watch for this week. Uh, if Jones is back to practicing in full on Friday, you roll with him. But otherwise, yeah. I mean, he's in a great setup. And, you know, the fact that you've uh, that got a young quarterback he might turn to Jones a lot in, in passing situations. Jordan Love isn't necessarily a scrambler that much, so I think you're going to see, you know, Jones get his checkdowns.
1: Anybody right now that you're really wanting to avoid in fantasy for the week two matchups?
6: Well, I'm worried about Steeler players uh, going up against uh, the Cleveland Browns front four. You know, a lot of the reasons why Burrow struggles so much is Cleveland's just really good. There's some buzz in the preseason from the Eagles saying that that front four is vicious. You know, they And that's a team that knows, because they have their own awesome front four. So uh, that's something to watch for there a little bit. They play on Monday night, too. No Deontay Johnson for about a month on that one. So I think a lot of people are like, okay, it's Pickens' time. Well, it might be, but you know, Kenny Pickett's going to be running for his life, too. I think that pass rush is going to be pretty impressive against
1: them. Let's talk about what you've got coming up at uh, rotowire.com. Number one, your value meter's been updated. That's important, but... A lot of fantasy articles for players that uh, come out on a daily basis. Whether it's uh, pickups and and also different uh, players, uh, you know, analysis of games, daily betting. There's just a, a lot of good stuff up at Roto-Wire.
6: Yeah, absolutely. A lot of different ways to peel that onion, and you know, I, I like Jerry his target breakdown uh, for if you're looking to dig into wide receivers and tight ends. Always good early in the season to see, like, okay. Yeah, we saw the stats, but what does that mean? Give us some context. Jerry's pretty good at that, so I recommend all that. Of course, Kevin Payne's got his waiver wire article. I've got my value meter that you alluded to there. Um, There's a lot of different ways you can kind of uh, get a lot of good information, help you uh, dominate in your league.
1: Meanwhile, as we uh, wind up the baseball season, are you a little bummed that uh, Jason Dominguez was diagnosed with a torn UCL?
6: Yeah, that's sad. I mean, you know, and he's going to have to probably start the year in the minors next year just because he's going to be building back up. So precious little experience. Uh, this is a six- to nine-month injury for position players. At least, you know, he'll will come back at some point next year. But he's going to be halfway through his season.
1: I'll tell you this much. I watched a defensive highlight of Pete Crow Armstrong from earlier today, and uh, he looks like the uh, human highlight reel out there defensively uh, for the Cubs.
6: Yeah, he sure does. Uh, he's got he's got a motor that's for sure. Um, he's got to on the base pass. He's got to be a little bit more judicious on when to use it, but uh, hey, that comes with some experience. We'll see how much playing time he gets down the stretch. Obviously, the Cubs trying to lock down that playoff spot.
1: Good stuff as always, <coughs> Jeff. Appreciate it, and we'll look forward to uh, checking back with you right back here again uh, next week on the show.
6: Sounds great. Thanks,
1: Steve. Jeff Erickson. As uh, sports talk rolls along 20 in front of six, we're back to wrap up hour two and then huge baseball hall of fame hour with four inductees from the class of 2023 all coming up right here. 600 ESPN El Paso Adrian, I don't know if you've seen this story about load management in the NBA, but apparently the league has come up with 49 star players who are now subject to, To a new player participation policy. So here's what the NBA wants to do. They want its best players to play in more games. So today, its Board of Governors approved a new player participation policy which will fine teams for resting stars in certain situations. The idea of the new rule uh, is to stop teams from sitting multiple stars in the same game sitting stars during nationally televised and in-season tournament games, and shutting down stars for extensive uh, extended stretches. So if you're wondering, how does the NBA determine who is a star? Apparently, the answer is this. If you've been named to an all-star team or an all-NBA team in the previous three seasons, you're a star. Everybody else, not particularly. So... Um, Victor Wembanyama, but uh, Victor uh, Victor uh, Wembanyama, not a star, even though uh, you know he has star power. Aaron Gordon scored 27 points in a finals game three months ago. Um, not a star. So here is what we are looking at. Okay, 49 names. For example, Anthony Davis, LeBron James. Those are the only two subject to the new player participation policy with the Lakers. Giannis Antetokounmpo, uh, Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton for the Bucks. Sixers, Joel Embiid, James Harden, um, you know, and the list goes on and on. Warriors, Steph Curry, Draymond Green, Chris Paul, Andrew Wiggins. They've got four on their list. The Knicks have one. Julius Randle. That's it. Phoenix Suns, Bradley Beal, Devin Booker, Kevin Durant. So, It is an interesting list. Everybody has at least one player on that list. Do you like it, or do you think that the NBA is once again making a mistake? by only putting these 49 on their star list.
2: So I feel like this is a step in the right direction that the NBA uh, desperately needs to kind of clamp down on uh, the resting, and some of it is team-induced. Like Sometimes the team uh, insists on rest for its stars so that they can maximize the most, whether it's the postseason, maybe it's even the draft, and hey, we want to tank and we want our star to sit out right now and we want uh, to get the best draft position as possible. So this is what they're trying to do to combat that. And the reason why they're doing this right now, Steve... They've got an agreement uh, that they have to work out with TV deals. I'm talking about yeah. Turner Sports and ESPN that is rapidly approaching. And what the NBA is r- realizing right now is people are not consuming the NBA uh, like they are you know, trying to profit off of. And I'm saying that they're not watching full games. They might be watching full highlights. They might be watching Instagram and TikTok videos about the NBA and still be interested in it, but they're not watching full games. And that's where they're getting a lot of their revenue from. I'm talking about the NBA – Uh, from all their TV partners. So uh, in order to go back to their TV partners and ask for more money, the NBA is going to have to ensure their TV partners that their stars will play on national television.
1: How about this? This is also an interesting little sidebar about this, okay? If there are certain players not on the list but make the 2024 All-Star team, they would be subject to the same rules as the other stars after the All-Star break. So that means Jalen Brunson, um, maybe Mikhail Bridges, Jamal Murray. They could be part of this list even though they're not on it right now.
2: I'm okay with all of that because if you're going to make big bucks, if you're going to be an all-star, then you got to play. I mean, I mean, unless the unless you're injured, unless you have some kind of a lingering issue that's really preventing you from stepping foot on the floor and you're worried about your postseason run uh, for the playoffs, I mean, look, this one really hurts guys like Kawhi Leonard, who love to take rest days. This one really hurts one, uh, guys like Kevin Durant, sure. who also uses rest days to his advantage. So, those are the guys who are going to hurt the most with this one.
1: Well, you know, Pop is. The one that really invented the um, load management rule, and how fitting that there is not a single San Antonio Spur. On the list of 49 star players, which means he could continue to rest Victor Wembanyama and anybody he wants to throughout the season since they don't qualify.
2: Right, and maybe he doesn't play his uh, players enough in order to actually qualify for things like all stars. But I mean, you know, True. in all reality, it's only Keldon Johnson who'd probably be the guy. Man, oh man.
1: All right, when we come back. It's going to be El Paso Baseball Hall of Fame hour. Alonzo Rellis will lead us off, followed by Ryan Madrano, Robert Bob McNichol, and Carl Lascano. Stay with us. Four members of the Class of 2023 coming up next from the El Paso Baseball Hall of Fame as sports talk continues with the Dallas Cowboys update at the top of the hour, 600 ESPN El Paso. Steve Kaplowitz and Adrian Broaddus. All right, final hour is underway, and as we mentioned, it's all about the Hall of Fame for baseball in El Paso here this hour. In fact, the class of 2023 was recently inducted, and we've got four of them uh, that are going to be joining us here this hour, starting with this man. He is uh, Alonzo Ruelas, and he joins us live on the program right now to begin our final hour. Alonzo, welcome to Sports Talk. Great to have you on, and uh, congratulations on the honor. Thank
5: you. Happy to be here. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I
1: appreciate it. All right, you tell me. What was your reaction when you heard the news that you'd be getting into the El Paso Baseball Hall of Fame?
5: I was I was in shock, to be honest with you, and uh, so it was. uh, I was not expecting it, um, but I was super happy, and I got to go through all my newspaper clippings and uh, put everything together. So it was a good experience, and I saw how much my dad, uh, you know, did a good job organizing all the all the newspaper clippings of of baseball and how far we went deep into the playoffs here in El Paso.
1: It sounds like also you grew up in a baseball family with your dad, Willie, your mom, uh, Alicia, and, um, you know, you've got a lot of other people that were a big part of it. Not to mention you started at an early age uh, playing baseball in uh, Socorro and it led all the way up to uh, playing at Socorro High.
5: Yes, exactly. So uh, my mom put me in t ball four or five years old here in Socorro, and she was my first coach. And and then my dad kind of took over, and then uh, Coach Forbes took over and did a really good job at Socorro High School. And he's obviously been very successful as well with the rest of his career.
1: I like the fact that your mom got it started, not your dad. Let's talk about that because t-ball is the kind of sport where you kind of learn the basic fundamentals and then move on from there. Tell me about why it was your mom that really helped introduce you to, to t-ball, and and then you moved on from that to play for your dad.
5: Well, she said that she saw the talent right away of when I was little and, and I was playing with the ball, and she's like, "Wow, this, guy, this little kid's really athletic." So I'm going to see. I'm going, you know what? I'm going to put him in t-ball then so my dad didn't really pay attention to it and until a year later after he saw that I, you know I could hit the ball really far and run fast and throw hard and stuff and then he that's why he took over.
2: <laughs> Alonso, after uh after you uh, graduated from Socorro you were in the junior college circuit what was playing junior college baseball like in the early 2000s?
5: Well I got I got a I got a chance to play against some really good players um uh, Adam LaRoche. He uh, it was Albert Montes and and versus Al- Adam LaRoche all the way in the World Series and and Albert won and we ended up winning the World Series and, and then I ended up being a teammate of Adam LaRoche at, with the Braves. Really good guy, <clears throat> real quiet, real shy, but just could hit. Um, and uh, also Albert Pujols was in the same um, uh, junior college uh, kind of area. I think he was in Oklahoma or some, somewhere a little bit, a couple of states above Texas um and then he ended up getting drafted as well and obviously he had a, he had a really really good uh, MLB career um but it was awesome it was a great experience we won it all you know we got a ring and and it uh, was it was a great experience awesome experience
1: Alonzo Rorellis with us here on Sports Talk as we continue. And um, after your days at Grayson County College, you get drafted by the Braves in the eighth round. And, you know, I, I'm looking back at kind of your minor league journey, which started in 2001 and then wrapped up about five seasons later. Um, you played in rookie ball and a and ball and and. So many of the Braves that we know from that era were were teammates of yours. I immediately Mm -hmm. saw names like Jeff Francor, uh, Brian McCann, who I recognize, Mm -hmm. Gerard Saltalamacchia, tons of the pitchers that were also on that staff as well. Um, In fact, it's so interesting to me that, um, you know, whether it's Marcus Giles and, um, you know, just looking through the other uh, list of, of names, too, uh, Kyle Davies played with you almost the entire mm-hmm. way up. A uh, lot of guys that have had terrific careers, and uh, you know, what was it like playing minor league baseball some uh, 20 years ago and going through the system <laughs> with the Braves?
5: Well, I was fortunate enough that I got I got called up in spring training and, and I got the chance to catch uh, John Smoltz and be along Javi Lopez and and bat in the same batting cage with Chipper Jones. Um, and I and then I you know I played with Brian McCann and Jerry Taltamaka for a few years. Yep. Uh, so I, I had the uh, the privilege of of being around hall of famers like John Smoltz, and and it's so beautiful, you know, that that I was able to, able to get that opportunity to be around a person like that who who excels in every every aspect of life, especially baseball and and everything else as well too. Uh, it was funny because they were they were uh, broadcasting a game the other day, and Chipper Jones. Was telling uh, Jeff Francoeur and and Brian McCann uh, that uh, that the batter that had just batted got hit right in the ribs. So then Skipper J- Jones puts a clip of John Smoltz getting the, hit in the exact same spot, and he goes down like a chicken and rolls around. And four or five people got to come out and take care of him, and he's like he was just laughing. It was it was a great story, and uh, you know I got to to hang out with those guys when they were younger, and <clears throat> and uh, I was. They're at the tail end of the Tommy Glavin and um, Greg Maddox, uh, John Smoltz era, and uh, got to see him, got to be next to them, and it was just a wonderful experience. I was 19 years old man, and then got to play for a few years. But, yeah, I remember the, well, there was one time I went over to John Smoltz's house, and they, they, they invited us over. So I went over, and I rang the doorbell, and he opens the door, and he goes, he goes, hey, John Smoltz, nice to meet you. I say yeah yeah I I know who you are. I think I know who you are.
1: That's awesome. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Alonzo, did you play mostly catcher at that time or did you also play first base as well?
5: No, my whole time with the Braves with was, a, was a catcher. I I had some excellent coaches uh um they they ended up uh, Chino Kalihia ended up becoming the uh, bench coach and and all, I have some some good coaches that are still coaching. Uh Snichter, who was with the Braves when with the World Series, he was he was my AAA coach in in in, in AAA, and spring training, and then um, there's uh, another coach that's that's done very well and he's very successful, Phil Wellman. He's a he's a, yeah. he's the uh, the coach for the uh, Chihuahuas. He was with the Braves in Double A. He was a Double A. He was my Double A coach in spring training, um, and uh, so yeah, a lot a lot of people still playing. Charlie Morton still playing. I played against Miguel Cabrera. He was a shortstop. He was 18 years old, and he was on the other side of the field. Uh, everybody knew. I think he had signed for a million dollars, so everybody knew who he was. Just a huge, big kid, and he ended up having a wonderful MLB career. BJ Upton, I could never throw him out, but uh, he, he, he was fast. He could steal. Um, so a lot of really good players that, that I played during the same time as well.
1: Yeah, it's a who's who. It really is. And and I can't even imagine going to Brave spring training in those years when you see guys like Maddox, Smoltz, Klavin, the big three, Steve Avery, um, and you start to think about just how great that staff was in those days. And you also had Bobby Cox as, as manager. And, um, you know, I, I just go back and, and think about those days and, and realize that that was still when they were at, at the top of their game and all of them, you know, essentially the big three becoming future Hall of famers did did you try to um you know i mean you tell me as a 19 year old being at spring training with those guys was it intimidating a little bit or did they make you feel pretty comfortable
5: um uh, at first yes it was your star star struck because you know i grew up a brace fan on tbs so you know from seeing them on tv to being next to them like my eyes couldn't comprehend that so but once i got past that yeah they were just normal guys and you know, just talking about hitting and pitching and super focused and just playing baseball at another level.
1: Was there one particular highlight of your minor league career, Alonzo, that really stood out for you amongst all the other moments? Well I have to say
5: that time, yeah, I did get called up and then, you know, I got to catch John Smoles and uh and we're um you know, they that we're uh you know, the gates opened up and I saw the New York Yankees there at uh the, Disney world of sports uh spring training spring training a field and you know I believe i'm a rod and Jeter were there it was during around that time, and so that was a a pretty awe moment for me, and uh it stuck in my head and and then it was a real really cool mo- moment.
2: So it's one thing to join a team uh, in in the majors, and it's another thing to join a team who's won 14 straight divisional titles. What kind of culture was set? Like, you you had to know that this was a winning culture right there. So what kind of culture uh, did you get involved with with the Atlanta Braves?
5: Yeah, the culture was – at that time, it was all about pitching and defense. So they had, you know, strong focus on – Guys that could you know get out and and win games, and you know you had guys like Raphael Belliard playing shortstop um that it was just you know nothing could get past him, and he was awesome playing Chipper Jones at third base and so it was uh the culture was really focused on pitching and pitching was a priority with the braves um so it was awesome, I got to catch a lot of really good pitchers, Adam Wainwright. He's still in there. Mm -hmm. He was 17 years old. Uh, uh, So, a lot of first rounders. Uh, McKay McBride made it to the big leagues as well. Kyle Davies made it to the big leagues. Anthony DeRue made it to the big leagues. All had successful careers. So, yeah, the focus was, was definitely on pitching.
1: So you tell me, after the 2005 season, here you are, you're about to turn 25 years old, and suddenly for you, uh, the dream of trying to continue playing uh, minor league ball comes to an end. What have you been doing for the last 17, 18 years uh, since those days ended for you for baseball?
5: Well, I got lucky. I got lucky because uh, the Braves paid for a a scholarship. So I ended up enrolling at UTEP. I got a a marketing degree, and then I I went into finance right out of college, um, so i moved to scottsdale kind of been in finance ever since uh and that that's that's what i do right now and then also have the pleasure of still training kids right now i got a training at 7 p.m uh with the, one of my up-and-coming catchers he's the next Yvonne rodriguez he's got a cannon for an arm and uh he's got a, he's just got a good a natural act for just being a great catcher and so he's he's 13 years old I'm, i introduced him to the Scout of the Washington Nationals on Sunday when I had the Hall of Fame and and uh, uh, Brandon Pimentel was 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 drafted by uh, the the Washington Nationals scout Kevin Ham and he was there and I said hey Kevin look this guy's 13 years old he's up and coming he's gonna do great and uh, you got to keep an eye out for him so he said yeah yeah I definitely will you know I li- always like to keep an eye on El Paso players and get them drafted so that's what I that's also what I do I still train I have. Probably three, three catchers and several pitchers, and and uh, it's fun. I love being out there with the kids.
1: And you're living out in the Scottsdale area now.
5: No, I'm actually
1: I'm in uh, Socorro, Texas. I'm back in Socorro. Nice,
5: good yeah. for you. You've
1: come back to yeah. where it all started. I love that. Um, <laughs> yeah. By the way, uh, you've got two kids, Alonzo and Colton. Are they ball yes. players uh, like yourself? uh uh Jordan is a, he's a, he's a student at UTip. Okay. He doesn't play ball but
5: Colton just finished his T-ball year and he was he was the best player and he tore it up.
1: All right, so you're telling he me that Colton Colton's yeah. got a chance is what you're telling me Alonzo. Colton's definitely got a chance. I love it. <laughs> All right. That's great stuff. Yeah. Hey, listen. Congratulations again. It's it's been fun chatting with you. Thanks for going down Memory Lane with us here on the show and congratulations once again on being named into the 2023 El Paso Baseball Hall of Fame.
5: Yes, thank you, thank you. I want to give a, you know, a very big thank you to our president uh, at the El Paso Baseball Hall of Fame, uh, Bob, and then also Larry Hernandez, uh, who also is part of the organization. Just wonderful people to be around with, and and uh, Coach Forbes as well. Pleasure, and and I hope uh, next year we're trying to get Omar Quintanilla in there. So hopefully we'll we'll be able to make it happen.
1: Long overdue, Alonzo. Long overdue, that's for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, keep in touch. We'll look forward to having you back on the show. All right. Absolutely. Thank you, Alonzo Ruelas, folks. As we continue talking about Bob Aguirre, president, um, and also Raúl Vasquez, uh, vice president and treasurer, Dana Eisenga, the secretary, and Larry Hernandez, the aforementioned uh, nominations chairman. All right. More Hall of Fame coverage right after Charlie One and this traffic update. As we continue, uh, we uh, have three more Hall of Famers to say hello to, including Ryan Madrano, who uh, joins us next on the program, uh, part of the class of 2023. Ryan, welcome back to the show. How are you?
3: Hey, Steve. How are you doing? Thanks for
1: having me. Ryan, doing well, and uh, congratulations. I'm sure for you, uh, this means a lot. Your family's been involved in baseball forever. And uh, tell me what the reaction was uh, when, when you first got the news.
3: Uh, I found out back in February. Uh, talked to my brothers, talked to my mom and dad. Everybody was really excited and happy for us. Uh, well, happy for me, but it, you know, I I always see it as a as a family venture, and so me getting in represents not just myself, but it represents uh, you know everybody that's helped me get there, which is. You Know, uh, which is my family because that's why I learned how to play and that's why I wanted to play, and, and so it was a great night for us.
1: Not to mention, really, kind of starting with your dad, Raul, right? Because he got it going when he started playing professionally with the Kansas City A's uh, back in the 60s.
3: That's right. Um, yeah, my dad's a athletic grad in 1961 and, and played for the Kansas City Athletics organization for five, six years, and and so he, you know, he was our. He was our inspiration. He got in in 1990 when I was about 17 years old. We got to about the third year into the El Paso Baseball Hall of Fame. And, and so it was a big night for us back then. And and to kind of play it back full circle uh, was pretty neat.
1: Knowing that your dad, who played with a, a, a ton of big leaguers during his career, and you did as well, plus your your older brother, Ruly I mean, it seems like baseball was just uh, a natural fit, right?
3: Yeah, that's what my mom says. She always said it was part of our DNA. But, uh, you know, we always enjoyed playing baseball. We were never asked to play. It was just the environment we grew up in. And, you know, fortunately having two older brothers, you know, that's what I saw growing up. I didn't get a chance to see my dad, obviously, uh, to, you know, play in baseball. But that's, you know, he's he's the founder of it. And, and uh, you know, we all just tried to follow in his footsteps.
1: I mean, I'm sure he told you the stories about playing, especially with some of those guys that he played with, right?
3: Yeah, so, uh, you know, he did get a chance to play with Tony La Russa and uh, Burt Campanaris was the player he always talked about the most. It mm-hmm. was, uh, I think Burt Campanaris made a huge impression on my dad and, um, you know, my mom put together scrapbooks and, and those, eight, those old, uh, I think they're called 8 millimeter films. Yep, we that's right. We had some of those, to, you know, to watch on the projector when we were little. So we got to see some of his, you know, some of his playing time You know, when they were in Lewiston, Idaho, and and Burlington, Iowa, and Daytona, Florida. So, yeah, that was a big deal to us growing up. And and to see that, it was really neat to hear his stories.
1: Ryan, you've done it all. I mean, you played at Eastwood. Then you went and played community college ball in Dallas at Brookhaven at New Mexico State. You played pro ball on two different occasions with the Reds. uh, And also, uh, you played with the Mariners. You had a terrific year in indie ball. And then you went ahead, and all you did was uh, coach high school baseball forever. So, I mean, you tell me uh, when you look back at your playing days, your coaching career at Hanks and Eastwood, um, the Diablos uh, with your brother, and also Butch Henry. I mean, it's you—you it, you are, uh, even though you're younger than me—I would definitely call you a baseball lifer. Is is that fair? That's fair. I, you know,
3: what I, I think baseball was the the motivating. You know what was the motivating factor for me to, to to have a job, really, you know, and, and, and to move forward with it, my education. Um, you know, you would think a baseball family wouldn't care too much about that, but we really did. My dad and my parents, you know, stressed that to us, so you know, getting my degree and being able to coach high school baseball was important to me, but uh, Butch Henry gave me a great opportunity coaching the El Paso Diablos, and and as far as, like, you know, I, I look back and say, well, I you know, I kind of was a You know, I kind of touched everything a little bit, you know, except maybe the big leagues. But, you know, I got to experience a lot. And then now working with, you know, young adults in the high school level, that's that's been uh, very fulfilling because it's I wouldn't call it a give back, but it, it gives me a chance to teach what I know, teach what I learned from so many so many people.
2: Ryan, speaking of fulfilling, I mean, your uh, career in the minors was probably one of those that was just really exciting for you at the time. But what was it like uh, being a part of that Diablos coaching staff, and then kind of really bringing all that you learned uh, from your playing days and even you know your early coaching days here to El Paso uh, to to show what you could do as a coach in front of this community?
3: Yeah. So the interesting part about that is just you know Butch. Butch just called me out of the blue one day in in the middle of the summer in 2006 and said hey uh, you know I've been talking to the El Paso Diablos and and they they might offer me the manager position and if I get it will you you know will you come help and I said yeah of course I would I would you know chance of a lifetime so uh you know again it was it was another opportunity to work with with somebody I've always you know, had a great relationship with and looked up to in, in Butch. And, and he's always been so kind to me. Um, you know, I could tell you, you know, things that Butch did for me while I was playing, but the opportunity to coach with him, you know, with the El Paso Diablos, it was, it was, um, it was very, didn't fulfilling, but I got to learn from, from somebody that I admire very much and, and, and Butch. And, and that was my, really my first stint of coaching Because after that, I got the Hanks job. So, you know, I credit the opportunity with the El Paso Diablos to kind of launch me into into high school baseball as a coach.
1: Man, I love it. And by the way, in 99, when you played double-A ball, um, you know, or in 2000, I should say, when you played in the Eastern League, um, was Butch still with the Mariners at that point, or was that already when he was trying to come back again with Boston? So Butch was
3: with – no, Butch was in the Mariners organization in, in 99, Okay. And in 2000 I think he was trying to get back in with uh through the Yankees organization. But uh yeah, I didn't get to see him when I was in minor league spring training. He was with a different organization at the time.
1: Okay, that's what I was wondering about. But still, yeah. um, it sounds to me like uh, for you, was it difficult hanging up the cleats as a player and transitioning to a coach? Or for, was it uh, something that uh, you knew you just you just had to, to move on at that point?
3: I think if I hadn't gotten the opportunity to, you know, fulfill a lifetime dream of becoming a professional baseball player, I think it would have been hard, you know, that would have been hard hanging up the shoes, but, you know, I felt like it was time for me to move on um, after the 2000 season. And, uh, you know, I, I was fortunate enough to have a bachelor's degree from UTEP before, you know, during the time I was playing baseball. So I was ready to start working and, 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 and do something different. And I, I think i had gotten it out of my system. Um as a player, you know I still felt like I had stuff to offer kids. But uh, as a player, I felt I felt uh, I was ready to to take a different, go in a different direction.
1: Highlight for you as a player. Highlight for you as a coach.
3: Uh, you know, as a player, you know there. You know, my I guess uh, Charleston, West Virginia, in 1998. Um, my dad flew out there to see me play. That was a big deal for me. I, you know, as far as a singular highlight in the game, uh, I'm sure there's something. But I'll always think back to when my when my family got a chance to see me play as a professional, as a coach. Um, you know, coaching with my older brother Ruli really, that was that was pretty neat. Um, coaching against him wasn't as neat, but it gave us a chance to, to be on the same field, you know, at the same time.
1: Well, and I believe uh, it, it, Ruli is is in the El Paso Baseball Hall of Fame as well. Correct.
3: Really no, um, right now it's just my my dad and myself. You know, hopefully one day Rooley will be in as well.
1: Does really deserve to get
3: in?
4: <laughs>
3: just kidding. I'm putting really really such a fun. To it.
1: Knowing your family the way I do and asking that question with a straight face without laughing is just truly really one of my. Fa- I mean, listen, I've known, <laughs> I've known Ruly forever, and that's why I had to throw that out there. And I'm and I'm hoping he's listening.
3: Yeah, yeah, I hope so too. And and um, you know we talk talk a lot about really because he's you know he's um you know who he is and he's 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 been coaching he coached baseball for a long time and he he worked for for kdbc as a sportscaster and that yep um um my older brother ray lives in san antonio and 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 again you know growing up uh he was the first baseball player that i saw you know in person you know because of you know the fact that i wasn't born yet when my dad was playing but uh you know, Ray deserves a lot of credit as well. I'm very, very lucky to have, you know, Ray and Willie in my life.
1: No doubt. Ryan, listen, congratulations. I know how much it means to you, to the family. Well-deserved, uh, both as a player and then as a coach here in town. And we just want to thank you for giving us a little time and, and talking uh, to us here and, and going back down memory lane on the show.
3: I appreciate you. And and if I can, can I, can I say hello to my daughters, Avery and Aubrey?
1: Please go ahead.
3: Listening. Hi, Avery. Hi, Aubrey.
1: How old are how, how old how old are your daughters?
3: Uh, Avery's eleven, and uh, Aubrey is nine years old.
1: Are they playing softball?
3: Uh, no, they're not. But they played catch with me out front. They, you know, um, I don't force too much on them. But they're, they're very good in school, and that's that's what's important to me and my wife. Good stuff.
1: Hey, I'm proud of you. Good job, Ryan. Congrats on everything. Way to say hi to the family, and uh, look forward to seeing you here down the road.
3: Okay, thanks for having me. Y'all have a good
1: night. Ryan Medrano, folks. Sports Talk continues. All right. Next up, Bob McNichol. We'll do that right after Center with Adrian. That's coming up next. Adrian, thank you very much. Time now to meet Bob McNichol, the third member that's joining us here on the show today for the Class of 2023 for the El Paso Baseball Hall of Fame. Bob, Steve, and Adrian here on Sports Talk in El Paso. Thanks so much for the time and the congratulations on the uh, induction into the Hall.
4: Thank you. It's uh, been quite an honor. An amazing weekend for us.
1: What a journey for you, Bob. I'm looking at, at really your baseball career. And it sounds like so many we've talked to. You started at a young age. You grew up in the Eastwood area. You played Optimus ball. You played Eastwood ball in high school. And then after that, a chance to really shine in college. Was was baseball something you gravitated to from the very beginning?
4: Uh, basically, as a two-year-old, I was out throwing the ball and was always looking for an opportunity to play catch with somebody, anybody, Uh, my parents, uh, actually neighbors. uh, When I was growing up, if anybody would catch me, I'd be thrown to them.
1: Who'd you grow up uh, idolizing as a kid watching baseball?
4: Actually, I have my mom's cousin played 22 years in the majors. Uh, His name was Lindy McDaniel. Wow. And he was a, a reliever. And of course, that's where I gravitated towards. And he uh, was famous for his forkball, and so he taught me the forkball, and I used that as my out pitch.
1: I was going to ask you how close you were, close enough that he would teach you how to throw a certain pitch like a forkball, which I think is fantastic. And I can't even imagine what it's what it's like growing up, knowing you've got a cousin that's got such a long big league career like that.
4: It, uh, it was an amazing time because at that time, the only time you could watch them was on – T V if they were on Saturday game. So at that time he was playing for the Giants and and I was always looking up the schedule to see if he was gonna be on T V.
1: Oh that's I did
4: get yeah. a chance to visit with him uh then at Family Reunions and uh was he was certainly a great role model for me.
1: No doubt. Um you go to U T and you get the opportunity to play for Coach Gus, uh, Cliff Gustafson and Uh, yet you really never had the chance to to play much uh, those first couple of years at the University of Texas. Is that what made you decide to transfer out to Lubbock Christian College?
4: Actually, uh, of course, my freshman year there, uh, we won the national championship, so we had quite a bit of talent ahead of me. Uh, My sophomore year, I did get a chance to play in two games. Uh, We were, uh, later on in the season, we were playing – Lubbock Christian at that time was a small school, and uh, Lubbock Christian beat us the first game, and then we turned around and beat them the second game, and I turned to uh, one of my teammates there in the dugout and said, they're having as much fun playing the second game losing than they did the first, and so I said, I'm going to change schools and I'm going to go to Lubbock Christian, and so I transferred that next year. Wow. And it's
1: only because you saw the way they played against you and you liked so much what you had a chance to see from the field.
4: Absolutely. And then later when I was talking with Coach Gus, uh, he admitted I told him that I was going to be transferring over and uh, playing for Coach Larry Hayes. And uh, he was, well, what he told me was he said, if my son played baseball, I'd have him go and play for Coach Hayes. Uh, he's an incredible man, both on and off the field.
1: What a ringing endorsement that is! And by the way, you had the chance to play, and you shined. Had uh, three terrific seasons at Lubbock Christian College. Let's talk a little bit about that and how you made the most of your opportunity for Coach Hayes.
4: Uh, the biggest, the biggest thing was uh, a lot of things I learned from Texas. Uh, We had this this deep desire to win, and you went out to every game expecting to win, and uh, so you went with that mentality for every game. And that's the way it was at Love of Christian. We became, my freshman year there, we had at one point seven freshmen on the field, and nobody expected us to do anything, and we ended up going to the World Series for the first time in school history. And so that was a great, great experience with, because we were all trying to figure out how we could play better together.
1: You played there through 1979. Bob, did you have an opportunity to try to play pro ball after that?
4: Uh, great question. Uh, I had visited with my, my coach, Hayes, and uh, we had some discussions about whether I wanted to play pro ball or not. Uh, my, my, uh, final year there, the rookie salary was 500 a month, uh, based on the contracts and, uh, the company that had offered me a job, offered me one for a thousand a month. And that was a uh, pretty much a decision maker for me because I was married and needed to start, uh, taking care of the family. Man.
1: That's uh, what a story that is. By the way, any it sounds to me like uh, no regrets on that one. Did you ever look back and and wonder what could have been had you taken less money to keep playing ball?
4: Always. (laughs) You always wish, you know, I wonder what if. But uh, looking back on it now, I have been so blessed. Uh, I can't imagine having been any better than where I'm at now.
1: Have you taught the forkball to anybody else since your days retiring as a baseball player?
4: Uh, I've worked with several uh, high school kids and junior high school. Uh, you know, it's a tough pitch. And so a lot of times their hands aren't big enough to, to go completely around the ball. And so they struggle a little bit, but, uh, you know, maybe they'll, you know, be able to pick it up and keep it going. I hope so, Bob.
1: What's your best uh, takeaway, really, from your uh, from your playing career?
4: Uh, actually, it's and uh, it's it, it goes like this. <laughs> uh, in our locker room, we had this sign above our locker room that said, "Did you improve today?" And uh, we would always go out and try to to better ourselves. Well, it was back in uh, 1997. I was at work thinking about baseball, and that thought of that sign came back to me. And I asked myself, was I improving every day at work? And I couldn't say I was. I was just going to work and working. And then that night driving home, I asked that same question, was I trying to improve my relationship with my wife? And I couldn't say that I had every day. And so I made a commitment to every day try to improve my relationship with my wife, which now we've been married 46 years. And then that Sunday, it came the time to uh, ask myself about my relationship with my God, and I had not tried to improve every day there. And that changed my life from that spring in 1997. Every day I have those three goals that I want to improve on.
1: Bob, that's an amazing answer. And 26 years later, um, think about how not just those three things, but then getting an opportunity to be recognized for your achievements on the baseball diamond uh, some, you know, 40-plus, nearly 50 years ago, how it all kind of comes into play. What an accomplishment for you, and uh, it's really been uh, a lot of fun for us just getting a chance to talk to you here on the show today.
4: Well, I sure appreciate it, and uh, what a great group of people. This uh, Paso Baseball Hall of Fame, I've just been so impressed and will uh, do what I can to encourage others to work hard so that they can achieve this as well.
1: Love it. Bob, take care. Thanks again for the time.
4: Thank you so much.
1: Bob McNichol, folks, part of the class of 2023. Carlos Lascano will wrap us up during our final countdown. We'll meet him next and wrap up the three-hour show. Sports Talk continues, 600 ESPN El Paso.